Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, this morning, uh, we are approaching the end of our current preaching series that we've entitled The Gospel and Scrooge, uh, The Gospel and Scrooge. And so for those of you just joining us, what we've been doing as a congregation over the season of Advent, and again, Advent is that season that brings us into Christmas, leads us into Christmas. Uh, What we've been doing over the Advent season is we've been using Charles Dickens' classic novella, uh, A Christmas Carol, which was actually first published on December 19th, 1843, exactly 178 years ago today, 178 years ago this very day. Uh, We've been using this story as a springboard, as a jumping point uh, for reflecting on the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus that we find in the Bible. And as we've been doing this, uh, we have met some interesting characters along the way, haven't we? Uh, For example, we have met uh, Jacob Marley, uh, Scrooge's deceased business partner, who comes to Ebenezer Scrooge as a chained-up ghost on Christmas Eve night, 1843, to warn Scrooge that if Scrooge doesn't change his ways, if he doesn't become a different person, then a terrible, awful fate lies in store for him at death. Uh, We have met the ghost of Christmas past, the spirit who reveals to Scrooge um, shadows of past Christmases that Scrooge has tried so hard to suppress, put out of his mind, put out of his memory. Uh, We have met uh, the ghost of Christmas present, uh, this jolly, large figure, kind of like Santa Claus, Father Christmas, and he shows Scrooge all the people around him that Scrooge has mistreated and neglected. So having talked about all these characters and reflected on the spiritual lessons, biblical lessons that we glean from their visits, we now come today to the very last spirit. And this last spirit is by far the most terrifying one of them all, the ghost of Christmas future, or if you prefer the old English, the ghost of Christmas what? Yet to come. And so take a listen with me. Uh, Actually, before I mention that, so let me just kind of recap. The ghost of Christmas yet to come shows up to Ebenezer Scrooge just before the dawn. He's this dark, shadowy figure. And so take a listen with me as Charles Dickens, in his own words, describes the ghost. This is straight from the 1843 novella. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee. For in the very air through which this spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. But for this, in other words, for this hand, it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. It thrilled Scrooge with a vague uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud, There were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him, just staring at him. Ghosts of the future, he exclaimed. I fear you more than any specter I have seen. Uh, It occurred to me this week as I was working on the sermon that in all the movie adaptions of A Christmas Carol, and I imagine that some of us have seen some of these movie adaptions during the Advent season on television, 
Uh, actually, I read somewhere that there's been about 135 movie adaptions, 135 movie adaptions. Well, in virtually all of these adaptions, this particular ghost seems to retain his original form, doesn't he? Artists never try to change him. Now, they'll change the ghost of Christmas past or the ghost of Christmas present, but not this particular ghost. Uh, this particular ghost always remains this grim reaper figure. He doesn't show his face, doesn't show his appearance, and he also never speaks. Despite all the questions that Scrooge asks of him, he never says a word. All he does is lift a finger, and then he points to what lies ahead for Scrooge. And so the first place that the Spirit takes Scrooge, and we've got a picture of this, is to the London Stock Exchange. And there's a group of businessmen, and they're gathered around, and they're talking about this gentleman who has just passed away. And unfortunately, what are they doing? They're cracking jokes about his death. And so the one guy says, well, what's going to happen to all of his money? I mean, he was rich. He was wealthy. He was affluent. What's going to happen to all that money? And this other guy says, heck, if I should know, all I know is he didn't leave it to me. And then this guy says, it's probably going to be a cheap funeral because I can't think of a single person who would attend. And then this other guy says, well, I'll go to the funeral. And everybody looks at him surprised. And then he adds, so long as they provide a free lunch. Not the best reason for somebody to attend your funeral, but that's the reason that this guy offers. Now, what's interesting is Scrooge recognizes these guys. He's done business with them. He's worked with them, but he has no idea who they're talking about. That's how deluded he is. And then, do you remember the bed curtains that Scrooge used to keep warm at night? Anybody here have bed curtains? Probably not in Florida, but uh, they did in Victorian England, I guess. Well, another place the Spirit takes Scrooge is to this rundown pawn shop in the slums of London. And there's this woman who's pawning off curtains, uh, bed curtains that she stole from a deceased person, which is pretty bad. But what makes it worse is she took the bed curtains from the bed after the man had just died. His body was still there in the bed. And not only that, but she literally took the clothes that he was wearing from his back, exposing his dead naked body. And then another place the spirit takes Scrooge um, is to the home of this husband and wife this young couple, and they're sitting at the dinner table, and they're rejoicing over the fact that their unforgiving moneylender is dead. And at first, the wife feels bad that she's actually celebrating somebody's death because you shouldn't celebrate death. Death is sad. Death is tragic. But at the same time, she can't deny what she's feeling. Well, Scrooge can't bear to watch all this happiness, and so he says to the ghost, hey, spirit, you've got to show me some tenderness. You've got to show me some compassion right now. And that's when the Spirit takes Scrooge to the home of Bob Cratchit. You remember Bob Cratchit? Pastor Will talked about Bob Cratchit last week. Scrooge's employee who has been so faithful, so loyal. Uh, he has this meager pay. And the entire Cratchit household is gathered around. And they're mourning over somebody's death. Not this man's death. Whose death are they mourning over? Tiny Tim. In fact, even Fred, this is Fred over here with the top hat. He has come, uh, Fred is Scrooge's nephew. He has come to pay his respects to Tiny Tim and offer his condolences to the Cratchit family. And there's irony here that Charles Dickens wants us to notice. Tiny Tim was a child when he passed away, just a little boy, but he touched so many people with his short life. Meanwhile, there's this older man who has died, and not only are people not weeping for him, but they're actually celebrating the fact that he's gone. Well, Scrooge can't take it anymore. He demands to know. He says, I gotta know 
who this mystery figure is. Who is this person that everybody's talking about who has just died? And that's when the ghost of Christmas yet to come leads Scrooge to a cemetery, to an abandoned grave. And so take a look at this clip. Uh, this is from uh, the 2009 uh, version of A Christmas Carol put together by Disney. Uh, this is an animated version with Jim Carrey playing the voice of Ebenezer Scrooge. And so take a look and see who this person is that everybody keeps talking about. Ebenezer Scrooge is terrified to see his own name on that gravestone. Now, here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What is Scrooge really afraid of here? What is Scrooge really afraid of here? Is he afraid of dying? No, Scrooge isn't afraid of dying. For a long time, I thought that Scrooge was afraid of dying, but the more I think about it, he's not afraid of dying. Uh, Scrooge knows that eventually he's going to die. Eventually, he's going to pass away. There's no getting around that or avoiding that. He's not afraid of dying. He's afraid that the person in that grave with his name on it, is the same person from all those shadows that he has just seen. To put it simply, Scrooge isn't afraid of dying. He's not afraid of death. He's afraid of how he's lived his life. He's afraid of meaningless living. And this is a great lead-in to the gospel of Jesus that we find in the Bible, because folks, the gospel of Jesus has a lot to say, doesn't it, about meaningful living. One of the greatest misconceptions of the Christian faith that unfortunately lots of people hold to in fact, maybe even some of us in this room or some of us are worshiping online, maybe we hold on to this misconception. I hope that we clear it up today. One of the greatest misconceptions of the Christian faith is that Christianity is only interested in the afterlife and what happens when we die. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't mishear what I'm saying. Christianity is, of course, interested in the afterlife and what happens when we pass away. Do you remember what Jesus said uh, in John 3, 16? Uh, in his conversation with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, uh, what is probably the most famous Bible verse, uh, this is what Jesus says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, uh, other translations say die, will not perish, will not die, but have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. That's the promise given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, that even after death, we will experience eternal life. But folks, here's what we often miss or forget about. Eternal life does not begin when we die. Eternal life continues when we die, 
It continues to go on when we die, but eternal life does not begin when we die. Do you know when eternal life begins? Eternal life begins right now. The very moment we open our hearts to God and choose to receive by grace the life that Jesus came to bring us, the life, the new life that Jesus came to give to us. Even right now in this moment, we don't have to wait until we take our last breath. Even right now in this moment, we can experience what the Bible calls eternal life. Listen with me to what Jesus goes on to say um, later in the Gospel of John. Uh, this is from John chapter 10, verse 10. In fact, if we could, let's read this together on the count of three. One, two, three. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The thief's purpose, the devil's purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Who here wants a rich and satisfying life? We all do, don't we? Uh, I don't think there's any way to scientifically detect this. But one of my core convictions is that deeply ingrained in every human being is this inner yearning for more. You know what I'm talking about? We crave for a life that isn't ordinary, but extraordinary. We don't want to settle for less. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to be caught up in a rut. We want to live life to the fullest, really experience all that life has to offer us. But we're not really sure how to fill this longing that we have for more. So oftentimes, what we end up doing, and all of us have done this, what we end up doing is we listen to what the culture tells us what the world tells us about what it means to have a rich and satisfying life. And we go after those things. And so some of us, like Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, we look for that rich and satisfying life in money, possessions, the accumulation of wealth. We're always going after that bigger car, that fancier house, that impressive bank account. Others of us, we look for that rich and satisfying life in relationships, but not real relationships superficial ones, shallow ones, popularity, social status, affirmation by others, approval by our peers, lots of social media followers. Others of us, we look for that rich and satisfying life in our careers, our jobs. We're always spending more and more time at the office trying to impress our boss, trying to get promoted, trying to get that corner office, and so we spend so much time in our careers that we neglect other parts of our lives, like our families. Let me tell you something. Over the years as a pastor, I've had the sacred honor, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I've had the sacred honor of being with people sometimes moments before they pass away. And never once on their deathbed <clears throat> has anybody ever said to me, you know, Pastor Chris, looking back on my life, I really wish I'd spent more time at the office. I really wish I had spent more time at work. Because in the end, that's not what life is about. Uh, anybody know who this guy is? Say his name. Tom Brady. Some of you thought I didn't watch football, but I do occasionally. Tom Brady. Well, during the 2007 to 2008 NFL regular season, Quarterback Tom Brady, and this is before he was playing for the Buccaneers when he was still with what team? The Patriots. Uh, well, Tom Brady set the record for the most touchdown passes in a regular season, paving the way for his winning the MVP award. 
By the time he was 30 years old, Tom Brady had already won, not one, not two, three Super Bowls. He had already won three Super Bowls before he was 30 years old, or by the time he was 30, an accomplishment that sets him apart as one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game of football. And I know some of you might not like Tom Brady. Uh, you can't stand the guy. But you know what? You've got to admit, he is really good at football, isn't he? Well, about 16 years ago, Brady was being interviewed by 60 Minutes journalist Steve Croft. Despite all the fame and all the career accomplishments he had achieved, Brady told Steve Croft in this interview, and you can actually watch this online. I saw a clip of this earlier this morning uh, on YouTube. He told Croft that he felt like something was missing in his life. This is what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. So Steve Croft pressed Brady as to what the right answer was, and this is what Brady added. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Tom Brady could not put his finger on what was missing. But he knew that what was missing was not to be found in his accomplishments, as impressive and as great as they were. Uh, Jim Carrey, uh, the great actor and comedian, we've all seen his movies, uh, he said something very similar. Jim Carrey said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. I think everyone should get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. You see, folks, the answer to the search for fulfillment, this inner longing that all of us have deeply ingrained within ourselves, this inner longing that all of us have for more, and actually, the Germans have a word for this. They call it Zengzut. It's a fun word to say. Zengzut. The answer to the Zengzut that all of us have deep down is not to be found in our careers. It is not to be found in accomplishments. It is not to be found in success. It is not to be found in money. It is not to be found in sex. It is not to be found in power or privilege or anything like that. It is only to be found in one person, Jesus Christ. It is only to be found when we fall on our knees and we surrender ourselves and we receive the gift of love that God came to bring us that first Christmas in Bethlehem. When we call out to God from the depths of who we are, God, please forgive me of my sin. Please forgive me of my brokenness. Forgive me of my stubbornness. Forgive me of my tendency, uh, my persistency to try to do life without you. I recognize you for who you are, Lord Jesus. Come on in, enter in, be the Lord, the Savior, the Master, the Redeemer that I so desperately need. Until we do that, unless we do that, we will never find that satisfaction that we're looking for. I love how Jesus puts it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, Jesus says, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Hold on a second. So if I try to hang on to my life, I'm going to lose it? 
But if I give up my life, if I let go of my life and I give it to Jesus, I'm going to save it? It's paradoxical. Only when we stop doing, only when we stop searching, only when we stop looking, only when we stop trying and we yield ourselves to Jesus do we find the existence that we crave. My favorite part of Scrooge's visit with the ghost of Christmas yet to come and the movie clip that we saw alluded to this. My favorite part happens when Scrooge begins to realize that maybe he's the person who has died. He's not certain, but he's wondering, maybe I'm the person who died, the person from all these shadows. So that's when the Spirit takes Scrooge to a bed where the man who has just died is lying there, and there's a sheet covering him. And so the Spirit lifts a finger and instructs Scrooge to lift that sheet and identify that man. And this is how Scrooge responds. I understand you, Scrooge returned as he's speaking to the Spirit, and I would do it if I could, but I have not the power, Spirit. I have not the power. To me, that's the most gospel-loaded line in all of a Christmas carol because the honest answer is none of us have the power. Ebenezer Scrooge didn't have the power to identify who he had been, the person that he had become, and he also didn't have the power to fix himself. None of us do. The only one who does is the one who came among us as a human being 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ. Folks, he is the only one. He is the only one who can give us that existence, that life, that rich and satisfying life that we crave. When I was halfway through my senior year of high school, we had a new senior pastor who was appointed to our church. Our previous pastor had been elected a bishop and went to Tennessee. And so a new pastor came. His name is Phil. Uh, Phil is retired now, uh, but when he was first getting started in pastoral ministry, um, he served this church on the island of Boca Grande. Anybody ever been to Boca Grande before? Yeah, some of you have. Uh, it was a small church at the time. Didn't have a whole lot of people. The membership was, was pretty tiny. And so when a visitor came to the service, it was pretty obvious. So one Sunday morning, and I actually reached out to Phil this week, and he gave me permission to share this story. One Sunday morning, Phil was preaching at the church's service. And as he was speaking, there was this gentleman who came inside, and he sat at the very back, in the last pew, just by the aisle, right by the door. And Phil didn't think that he was going to make it through the service because everything about this guy screamed that he was uncomfortable. He was fidgety. He was antsy. Believe it or not, pastors notice that as they're speaking. This guy is jumping around. Uh, he looked like he was ready to bolt. And he did. The congregation stood up to sing that last hymn. That guy was out the door. Phil never had the chance to meet him, to shake his hand. He didn't think he'd ever see that guy again. But he was wrong, because a couple of hours later, he was having lunch at home with his wife, and their house was located right next to the church. I'm grateful our house isn't located right next to the church, but that's where their house was. Suddenly, there was a knock on the door. So Phil answers the door. It was the man who had been at service. He identified himself. He said what his name was. He said he had been to service that day, which, of course, Phil remembered. And then he asked for a favor. He was wondering if it would be possible if he could park his car behind their house. Now, the guy didn't say it outright, but Phil was smart enough to know what was going on. 
guy's trying to hide his car. I mean, there are a lot of other places where he could park, but the guy seemed harmless enough. So he said, sure, no big deal. But something about the whole thing seemed off. So as the guy was moving his car, Phil was inside. He pulls back the curtain to get a better look as to what was going on. He noticed that this guy took off the pants that he was wearing. And underneath the pants, there was a bathing suit. He put the pants in the trunk. And then from the trunk, he pulled out these two large black leather suitcases. And then he walked to the water. And then about three or four hours later, came back, this time with no suitcases. He knocked on the door, told Phil that he was leaving, thanked him for letting him leave his car there, and then he was gone. Now, Boca Grande is an island uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, a lot of access to the, open, to the uh, open seas, to the ocean. And there was actually reports around that time of drug deals being done on the water. And so with no evidence, Phil wondered, maybe that's what this guy is doing or was doing. And then when the guy left the second time, he was certain he'd never see him or hear from him again. And he didn't for a while. But then 10 months later, right around Christmas time, he was at the post office. He got a package in the mail. He didn't recognize the return address. He opened up the package, and inside there were three things. There was one of the church's pew Bibles. There was a check for $50, and there was a letter. This is what the letter said. Dear Pastor, when I came to your church that memorable Sunday in February, I was in serious trouble, very fearful of some people with whom I had become involved in a business transaction. You may recall I asked you to watch my red Volkswagen that day. When I walked into your church that Sunday, this attractive Bible, which I'm now returning, was sitting at my right hand in the back pew. Your sermon that day was about opening up and letting God inside of you, about coming back to God and being forgiven after wandering and being lost. It felt like you were speaking directly to me, that the Lord through you was speaking to me. All I had to do to begin to find safety and harmony and comfort in my life, you said, was to say yes and accept Jesus as my Savior. I said yes that day in your church. And since that day, though my life has been far from trouble-free, I have found freedom, meaning, and a wonderful sense of God's peace. This Bible has also been a great comfort and aid to me. I'm purchasing a study Bible for a course I'm going to take here in Dallas, and so I'm returning your gift. I'd also like to give a gift of a new Bible with whatever edition you feel is appropriate and have enclosed a check to cover the purchase. It is my hope that this newly purchased Bible will be kept sitting on the last pew of the church so that some lost soul might pick it up in the future and take it with him or her and be saved as I have been. Merry Christmas. Very truly yours. Ken. That February morning on the island of Boca Grande, Ken, this child of God who had been wandering for so long, he found that life that he had been looking for. It changed him. It altered his future. 
that life that Ken found, that life that Jesus came to bring, it is available to all of us, to each and every one of us. No exclusions. Absolutely no exclusions. All we have to do is open up our hearts and say yes to God. Invite Jesus to come in. And when we do that, I promise you, when we do that, all of our Christmases, both now and yet to come, will be filled with hope and peace and joy and love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you have never made that your prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to join me right now in this prayer as we do so. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I remember when I was 16 years old, even after having grown up in church, when I finally realized in the depth of who I was that you had come to save and redeem me. And God, the truth is you have come to save and redeem all of us. You have made us in your holy image. You have created us for relationship with yourself. And yet because of our sinfulness and stubbornness and brokenness, we have strayed away. Please, God, forgive us. Come on in. Be the sovereign Lord, the ruler, the Savior that we so desperately need. And give us that life, that rich existence that we long for. As we prepare this morning to now give our gifts to you, Lord Jesus, through March of the Manger, uh, we pray that you would take these financial gifts, that you would use them to relieve suffering, to heal the broken, and to bring peace, as only you can do. We pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.